Hello everybody, welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black and joining me this evening we have John Anderson. Hello John. Good evening Cammy, good evening everyone joining us. And we also have Johnny McGinty, good evening Johnny. Hello, good evening, I just finished a big mouthful of crisps, sorry. I should have seen Cammy eating his toffee crisp earlier on, oh my days. That was a, yeah. a sight to behold. For... for um. What I should explain, though, is I was quietly eating my toffee crisp waiting for everybody else to turn up. <laughs> and John popped up on the camera and started papping me with his phone and then sending sending pictures of me eating a toffee crisp to the group chat. <laughs> I didn't get the main one, though, because you were too quick. Like, I put you up on the big screen and I was like, right, I'm going to big screen them and snip into them. And then I'll send it, that, but not. In fairness, it made me think two things. One was, oh, it's two minutes delayed. I should probably get my finger out. <laughs> and then the other was, oh, I've got crisps in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> Toffee crystal, it's a solid, it's a solid chocolate bar. Ooh, it's a solid chocolate bar. My wife's like, favourite chocolate. About nine, nine, nine to 11 seconds in the microwave. I know that would be 10 for most people, but you can either do nine or 11, depending on your microwave. Put that in there, just soften it up a wee bit. Oh, magnificent. What are you doing? Are you doing that on high full power? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you, does anybody use their microwave not in full power? Is that is that a thing? I mean, I'm, if I'm defrosting the roll, then yeah. Well, put it on full power; it will defrost quicker. You soggy rolls. Anyway, yeah, this is on. the kind of high level. Hang of on, cat. hang on. Right, you you completely unwrap a toffee crisp and then you put it in the microwave for ten yeah. seconds and then you try and eat it. Yeah. Yeah, use a fork think... knife. We're from Glasgow. I know this is an audio, primarily an audio format. <laughs> right? I kind of feel like, have you got any toffee crisps in the house, John? Because I feel like for the Patreon special later on, what we really need to do is to see you try and eat a toffee crisp that's been in the microwave for 10 to 11 seconds. I'm just baffled by the whole concept. Right, I tell you that's what, just, I that's have, just I ricicles. I it's just ricicles and melted chocolate, surely. I don't have any. Yeah, it's like a deconstructed crispy cake. Ne- <laughs> next, next week, I'll bring one along for the Patreon special and we'll, we'll do that. It'll be like the, the Strongbow Dark Fruits incident all over again. If anybody ever need motivation to sign up for the Patreon, there it is next week. John Anderson. It's like <laughs> well, slow TV, except it's only taken 9 to 11 seconds of watching John <laughs> warm a, a toffee crisp off in the microwave and then attempt to eat it. <laughs> this, is the, this is the high uh, quality chat that you get on... Uh, Get on the Scottish <laughs> Rugby Podcast. We're 72 hours away from arguably our biggest ever Six Nations game. Uh, and now for the last six minutes, we've just talked about heating up a toffee crisp in the microwave. Yeah. Anyway, more on more on the uh, biggest Six Nations game ever in Scottish Rugby history later on. What I will say is, it, is, um, it was International Women's Day this week as we recorded this podcast. Um we um, have been covering issues in women's rugby with certainly more focus. I think over the Six Nations, there's been a number of issues that have come out, uh, particularly in Scottish club rugby and the treatment of women by the clubs. And one of the main people who've been covering that is Heather Dewar of the Scottish Daily Mail. And we caught up with Heather earlier today to speak to her about what she's found and um, a little bit about women's experiences in uh, club rugby in Scotland. I'm joined now by Heather Dewar, uh, who is a journalist for the Scottish Daily Mail. Uh, hello, Heather. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Cammy. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, look, it's this week is International Women's Day, um, and um, we've been covering kind of emerging stories from Scottish rugby throughout the the Six Nations, and even in, in the run up to this around. Kind of women's experiences in in Scottish rugby um, that's certainly come to the fore. Certainly off the back of what happened with uh, in in Wales, and and the main story that broke was around um, Liberton Women's Rugby Club and and them um, the the kind of um, the, the women's team being dropped by the the club and and and, and all, all of a sudden and, and it came out about their their treatment at the hands of some members of the club. And you picked up that story, and and it wasn't just Liberton rugby um, players that you heard stories from, but this seemed to be an issue that that really kind of went throughout Scottish rugby. The women were were having quite quite um, significant issues in 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 club rugby. 
Yeah, no, 100%. Um, first of all, yeah, congratulations on what you guys are doing with regards to discussing some of these issues, because I have been listening to, you know, some of your podcasts. And, and actually, there are very few um, podcasts like yourself, which do keep that at the forefront of topics when they talk about it, especially when there's so much going on in the world of rugby. And there's a lot of brilliant stuff going on in the world of rugby, too. But it is really, really important that we we do look at some of these subjects and, and treat them with the respect that they deserve. And and you're right. I mean, a lot of the the stories that have come out were, were kind of initiated actually by Liberton Women's Rugby Club being disbanded. Um, I spoke to Jess Sandham, who was the captain of the team there, and and it was quite revealing just just having a kind of conversation with her um, initially, just with regards to what was going on in the background. And the message that was pretty clear to me was actually this wasn't just happening at Liberton; it, it was happening in many different places and. And she was very adamant um, that there was definitely sexism in Scottish rugby. And actually, um, that, that wasn't something that they necessarily put out there directly in, in their statement when they first spoke about misogyny and they spoke about racism and, and homophobia, but, but not specifically sexism. So I asked her about that. And then I spoke to lots of different players. After that, lots of women started coming forward to me. And I spoke to, there were probably about eight or nine players, actually, um, not including Liberton players who I spoke to off the back of that and, and just gathered, kind of gathered uh, their experiences and it, it sort of inadvertently turned into a bit of an investigation um, for us. And they all had different experiences, Cammie, um, but the one thing that, that ran through it was this feeling that there was sexism and that actually there had been very little done by the SRU, now Scottish Rugby, uh, to discuss that um, and to certainly to look into some of the areas which which they particularly felt were important. I mean, th there were all sorts of things that were brought forward to me. Um, if you read the stories, you'll have seen that one of, I think, the most damning was uh, a male uh, coach openly discussing with colleagues which player he would like to, and I use the terminology, bang, excuse me if there are any children listening, um, players being sent lecherous text messages, uh, a women's team being voted out of a rugby tour, poor coaching, women having to use men's kit, all these these issues which were really prevalent, especially when it came down to the, the kit issues. And actually, it's something that I never really thought about, Cammy, if I'm completely honest with you, because I won't lie, I'm, I'm not a, a rugby player. Plenty of people in my family are. Uh, I never got the opportunity when I was younger. I probably would have played, but I played lots of other sports instead. Um, but it is that thing where a lot of the, the women I spoke to said, well, actually, it could be quite dangerous as well, having a, a big male strip, because you'd find that women then tackled sometimes in a different way because they'd grab at shirts. Women were then yanked to the ground. And then if we look at the whole issue of concussion, which I know hopefully we're going to speak to today as well, um, Actually, when, when players hit the ground, females hit the ground, that can be one of the biggest issues for, for concussion in, in women is actually the head to ground impact. So, so all these things are sort of um, playing their part. So we built up this investigation. Um, there were players which were quite happy to go on the record, um, but we decided um, to keep them off the record because of um, mental health reasons. We were told by one player, for example, because I think there was a, a bit of a feeling, can we just to kind of put it into context, some, some people wondered why um, most of the people that we spoke to were off the record. And and there was there were players who had had incidences before with, with clubs where they'd felt as if they were being threatened. Um, one player said to me um, that she'd been attacked. Um, now, I don't know whether that was physically or verbally, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, she'd been attacked. Um, she was worried that coming forward and you know, being identified would affect her mental health because it had already been affected. So when, when you look at these things in the round, then there is definitely a problem. So obviously we approached Scottish Rugby about this. And one of the other areas that we'd been looking into was whether actually there'd been any complaints made about this because it's all well and good to a certain degree if if you have had issues but why didn't you come forward and then discuss some of these issues with the clubs and we were told uh, by at least a couple of the players that we spoke to that they had actually made complaints and that um, they weren't dealt with or they weren't dealt with in the ways that they wanted to be dealt with. We spoke to Scottish Rugby and Scottish Rugby said that there'd been no complaints of sexism to the disciplinary department over the last six years. I specifically asked them about the six years. I put that as a timeline because 
I'd been um, notified potentially of an incident that may have happened a few years ago. So I thought, right, I'll give a, a wide timeline here to give them the opportunity to, to look back on this. Um, so, so no incidents, we were told, um, which is interesting because it's not actually what we've been told. Um, so there are a, a lot of different issues here. And then that, of course, led um, to this whole new initiative that um, has begun now called the TELUS. Um, don't know what you want to call it, Cami. An email address. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of issues. It's, it's quite hard when you when you kind of open the door and you look at this. Um, there's a lot that comes out out of it. But if you want to put it into right, here's what happened. What was the end result? The end result was there was a big press conference um, which tackled this sexism story. It also tackled the Liberton women story. Um, this tell us email address was formed where basically players, anyone involved in, in Scottish rugby can go on and they can address their concerns via this email address. Um, which has also been criticised, I have to say, by whistleblowing, uh, a whistleblowing charity called Protect, which is the national whistleblowing charity for failing to have an anonymous procedure for reporting. So that's what's been done about it. Um, I would suggest, Cami, that um, it's not the only story that might be um, coming out about sexism. There's there's more. I'm, I'm hearing more from clubs. This is the thing. Don't don't just always believe what you're being told on the surface, because you'll find that when you start to do a lot of stories like this that there, there tends to be a bit of a snowball effect and more and more people will start coming out i think that's a really interesting thing i think around particularly around the telus thing is that it's this the response seemed to be nobody's told us of a problem so there can't be a problem um rather than saying clearly there is a problem and you know perhaps more needs to be done to proactively address behaviors um <laughs> certainly i i know from you know having been involved in doing the podcast and, and, and writing for the blog for a number of years i can't recall seeing scottish rugby do anything proactive to tackle sexism so it seems to be that the response is well let's wait until something becomes a problem before we look to try and address it and mm -hmm. it seems it seems obviously inconceivable that that nobody nobody anywhere would have, wouldn't have kind of thought well this this could be an issue um and, and then it is a small sport and you know we're, we're a minority sport in scotland it's a small everybody knows everybody else so it must be fairly daunting you would think for for these women to to be able to speak out i mean you know to even know where to go to i mean they have the tell us um way now but but again even it you would think most people would be fairly identifiable the moment they even put in the, the name of the club down yeah, and that that's the problem. So you know, I, I think th there was there was one person, for example, that wanted she actually wanted to be to be named. She was quite happy to be, but the problem is, it would have linked her with the club that she had issues with, and it was actually it's not the club she's at now, but it was a previous club. And and you know, we we collectively made the decision that it would be unwise if she was then concerned and she was scared to to do that. Um, but this level of fear, I mean, it's this culture of fear, where's that come from? You know, it's, I find it really depressing. And so many stories I do, this isn't, I, I do quite a lot of hard hitting stories, Cami, and whether that's racism or abuse or, or whatever. And, you know, I was heavily involved in the, the racism in, in cricket story and spoke to the victims, spoke to a lot of people behind the scenes on, on both sides, actually, and, and, and actually got a really rounded picture of, of what was going on. But this culture of fear that exists and it's particularly among women i find when it comes to sport it's not just rugby i find it in football as well where there are particular issues and women might come forward to you but then there's this element of fear which creeps in and they're absolutely terrified that in football in particular they'll lose their contracts um they might lose their place in the team um Rugby obviously is a little bit different because unless you're obviously at the elite end of things, you're not necessarily going to lose your contract. Um, but I think it's such a it's such a normally um, I, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like I do see rugby as a bit of a, a family. I mean, I, I grew up in Hong Kong and very you know fortunate to do so. So I spent every single year going to the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens and, you know, met loads of players, were a member of you know, rugby clubs and. I was kind of surrounded by that. I grew up among that. Um, that that's what I knew growing up. I didn't actually grow up watching football, although I've ended up bizarrely reporting on that more than rugby over the last 20 years. Um, 
but it is that family thing and, and I guess it's if you're in that and you're worried about rocking the boat you can understand why people if they feel that they're going to be condemned or they feel they're going to be ostracized you can understand why players don't come forward um but it doesn't mean like from from my point of view that I don't find that depressing and really quite worrying that that trend is allowed to continue and what needs to happen and having spoken to a lot of EDI experts in the past and particularly around the racism thing um, you need to open the doors you need to open those channels so that people have the ability to speak out and not feel concerned about the repercussions. I mean, this tell us email, I'm sorry, but it's just an email address. We don't know who's picking up the emails at the end of it. We don't know how many people are seeing it. I spoke to some of the players that um, were in this investigation that we did afterwards when, when it was announced, and I asked them whether they would use this email address, and they all said without fail, no, because there'd be no trust in it. Um, it should have been and you know anonymous i don't know why it hasn't been instigated in in that way maybe maybe scott Robbie will look to to work at it i know it's not an easy thing to implement but if you're going to implement something for god's sake do it properly don't just throw something out and by the way this was literally brought out as far as uh, i'm aware anyway as far as i was told there was not when i approached scottish rugby about the sexism story for instance there was nothing to suggest that there was an, this initiative coming out or that they'd been working on on anything of, of this ilk at all and then it was rushed out a few days later we suddenly found out about it in a kind of hurried out press conference um and there was very you know we in fact we weren't even given the information on time we didn't even get the information until we were actually in the press conference itself um so we didn't really have time to analyze the the initiative properly um but it's you know you, you need to give your, your your players your staff your coaches your, the people within that that rugby family that i'm talking about um particularly within the clubs where sometimes you know you you, you you don't always feel like you know what's going on within the, the bigger body of Scottish rugby. You need to make them feel like they're a part of it. Don't don't instantly create a barrier to change. But that it's almost like that's what Scottish rugby are doing continually. It's just putting up these barriers to change or or not feeling not not giving people the opportunity to feel like um you know if they do come forward they're going to be respected now that might just be a sense it may be that that isn't happening it may be and i really hope that that is you know everything is becoming more open and, and i know there is honestly that I, I, i'm not blind to what is going on i know there is lots of really good stuff going on i know lots of women who love their club rugby who think their clubs are fantastic i know the likes of don ward who i've spoken to for an article before doing fantastic work at grangemouth stags there is a lot of really good stuff going on there there are a lot of women who are very very invested in their clubs and there are lots of women too who are now getting senior positions in clubs but we need to really look at this in the round and and do you know what accept failings if things have gone wrong in the past accept them tackle them look at how things can be made better and then move forward don't just put up these barriers because one thing that was really really interesting in the press conference that we had when this tell us initiative was announced cami was that there was a complete refusal to acknowledge any failings nobody acknowledged failings when we asked them i asked them uh, and another journalist uh, asked them uh, about the failings there was no acknowledgement of those failings you've got to acknowledge that things have gone wrong before you can change things for the better yeah and i mean it seems to be a kind of a, a bit of a, a, a tale with with the 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 siu's response to any crisis or any kind of form of criticism is to is to kind of just you know put up the shutters and not not accept any liability you know this is a, a body that tried to once sue the weather in japan when we were a match threatened with a typhoon but i mean you know we've seen again with the siobhan Catagan, you know what's happened around siobhan Catagan and, and and just you know digging the heels in seems to be the approach and you would think that's not going to do anything to overcome the fears that women might have of speaking out is if what they see is the shutters going up and 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 a body acting defensively that that doesn't indicate a body that's willing to listen does it no I, I, and i think it's you know it's maybe they just need to really have a look at the processes you know it's and, and don't as you say it's that defensive nature don't be so defensive you know if actually there are lots of people who would really like to work with scottish rugby they genuinely a lot of the clubs would like to work properly um with the people within the the you know scottish rugby as and when I say Scottish rugby, the organisation Scottish rugby itself, there are a lot of people that I know who 
don't currently have anything to do with Scottish rugby, but would like to, you know, get involved and would like to put their their kids in clubs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So make it a, a, an environment. Give it give it this the the place for, you know, this this kind of I, I don't know. Um, a kind of aspect where everyone can feel included and ev- everyone can feel like there's an open door rather than feeling as as we did um, a lot of members of the press that actually again just being shut down before we'd even started and this attitude that you know there's nothing to see here well 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 there is something to see here because we've shown that there is something to see here and there are people continually coming forward and and actually when i talk about those processes you know there are there are lots of guidelines there are lots of procedures that you have to go through when um there are complaints being made but maybe look at those procedures and maybe ask yourself whether they are the correct procedures so you know there are there are some instances for example where um there might be a problem within a club and the person who's got a problem with an individual or something that's happened is told to go to the club president um what happens i'm just putting this out there as a theoretical um idea what happens if the problem is with the president or what happens if the problem is with someone on the committee and actually they're very good friends with the president how do you approach that how do you feel like you have the the backing and the the ability to do that without being ostracized if if those processes have to be done in in that manner maybe they should be looked at because you wonder whether they are then being heard further up the chain because i'm hearing stories of things going on within clubs where the message isn't getting through and actually maybe those in the know at scottish rugby aren't hearing those those stories because it's not filtering through all the way to the top and i'm i'm not meaning to sense if i'm going around the houses or being a little bit um you know careful about what i'm saying here but there are situations happening where i'm being told that complaints have been made but i'm wondering whether the complaints are getting through sometimes to the people that they need to actually be made to you know it's it's that process i i, I don't know whether the processes are are, are currently working and, and just finally heather it's it's I'm kind of interested in in your kind of take on this you mentioned equipment earlier and it's it's quite an interesting point i suppose just in kind of the wider um, women's sport about the availability of equipment and, and the appropriateness of equipment, but also just the kind of general sense that women are starting to question the way they've been treated, the way they've been trained uh, in sport or in the past. And I wonder whether or not those kind of stories are now coming out. Is that because women now have I don't know, channels and, and, and are finding their voice and, and ways to speak? Or do you think it's that sport is getting better at recognising those issues? I think a lot of it's just got to do with where we are in terms of women's sport now, Cammy. I mean, um, if you go back even, I don't know, 10 years. So, for instance, I mean, I, I remember I started doing a lot of women's football around 2011, 2012, for example, um, when I would be, it was myself and basically one other journalist, <laughs> uh, most football matches. And um, and that includes Scotland, you know, and I, the odd occasion where I've been like completely embedded with the Scotland women's football team. And it's been a fantastic experience yeah depressing that there's been no other members of the media that's been remotely interested um but look at where we are now and things have changed remarkably and and actually you know women now when you look at appearance fees and things like that and you're looking at them as kind of celebrities i mean the, the fees that they're commanding are enormous you know that it's, it's really it's, it's quite impressive actually how quickly women's football has grown but what it has done on the flip side of that is it's kind of opened up um, a lot of failings with regards to pitches um, floodlights kit uh, pitches availability of players all sorts of things and it's also opened up a lot of gaps when it comes to um, uh, the the kind of elite end and then the non-elite end so it's players who have a future in, in the Scotland setup, for example, you know, might, if we're looking at rugby, might all be playing um, in the main down south, contracted, all doing extremely well. Um, whether they're making an absolute fortune or not is um, it's up to them to decide. But you've got that level and then you've got women at the other level who play 
club rugby, you know, that some of them may play just for fun, which is fantastic. At the end of the day, that's what it's about, right? It's about having fun. It's about enjoying yourself. It's about being part of that community, having a clan shit, you know, and just basically getting out there and, and doing some exercise and, and loving what you do. But there are also players who do play competitively and who want to have that competition. And, and actually, because of where rugby is, and it, it is a bit like football to a certain degree, although it's a little bit behind where football is just because of the, the, the nature of the game, the nature of the business, um, it's where you see those gaps opening up between the elite end and the non-elite end, and actually um, how you close those gaps in terms of funding, how you close those gaps in terms of as you mentioned, the kit, um, the availability for for decent coaches, because that was another thing that really came out actually from a lot of the women that I was speaking to was was good coaches and um, yeah, just being able to get onto a pitch sometimes. So it's difficult. There's there's not a lot of money. I mean, yes, Scottish clubs are being helped with money. There's been a huge push, as as you know, for women's rugby in this country, and and most of the push. Let's not beat around the bush here when it comes to pushing for women's rugby, whether it's from world rugby, whether it's in Scotland, England, Ireland, Wales, is all gearing up to the Women's World Cup in 2025, which is in England. So there's this massive push which has been directed towards that. Um, there's a lot of funding that's been put in, there's a lot of sponsorship. So it's a really important time if you're you know, at the top and you're looking down on this and you want to access more players, you want more women to come through, you want more money. Everything's got to be seen in a very, very, very positive light. Um, as alongside that, you've got the um, organisations like Scottish Rugby who are putting in measures to, to give clubs the ability to bring more women on. So whether it's £5,000 or whatever it might be in terms of, of funding. But you do have to ask yourself whether that is enough money to really achieve what clubs are able to achieve. And, and actually, I, I can actually understand why some clubs choose not to have women's teams because... If, if we as women and, and the women, the female players are saying, well, look, we don't have access to these things. If we don't have enough um, funding to, to get decent kit or whatever it might be, or for the minibus, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. If, if generally we can't have a decent setup here, is it almost better not to have that and to do it half-heartedly and to give you know people a load of crap, essentially, than to actually look at it in the round and go well maybe we're not there yet maybe we'll just go with looking at kids rugby and we'll we'll bring the youth side of things through first and then when we are ready and when we have everything available and we feel like we can do this properly then we bring on um you know a women's team so i don't think we should criticize clubs who don't have that um i think we need to look at that really realistically there isn't a lot of money out there at the moment for for women's rugby um, at the non-elite level, um, even at the elite level. Again, let's um, let's be frank. So, it's a growing game. It's a growing sport, just like every other women's sport. You know, it's it's in a completely different place from where it's ever been before. Mainly because we're now seeing it all over the media. That is a terrific thing. That is a brilliant thing. We should we should celebrate that. But we should also be, in my mind, really you know realistic. As someone who's covered lots of different sports across many, many years and actually sees the reality of this. So we hear a lot about what's going on down south. Again, sorry to talk about football, but if we talk, you have to, you have to kind of use that as an example because it's a sport that's grown exponentially in terms of fan numbers um, and the fans bringing the money at the end of the day, as do big sponsors like Barclays, for example. But essentially the fans keep the games going. But you look at the huge numbers coming out to Wembley to watch some huge women's matches down south. You look at Barcelona. Um, you look at some of the teams in Europe who are bringing out really big numbers. But actually, you know, to be honest, in Scotland in particular, those numbers are really not there. We may see records being broken occasionally in, in cup finals, but those numbers are still very minor. And that doesn't take anything away from the growth. It's fantastic that they are growing, but we need to be realistic about the speed of all of this and not try, in my mind, and rush it. And if you want to rush it, you need to put the resources in because really they are not there yet. Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we will um, follow the your future coverage of this story with, with with great interest. But but thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. So that was Heather Dewar, um, who we spoke to earlier today about um, the stories that she's been following in Scottish rugby around kind of um, 
the treatment of women in Scottish rugby and, and women's rugby, women's experiences in Scottish rugby. I think before we kind of go out, there's a lot to talk about this evening as well, by the way. We've been this this we will get on to all of uh all of the news that's kind of linked yes. to this in a moment. But Craig, I want to start with you, and I appreciate you've just kind of logged on during that. But I think it's really important for us to say there is a lot to celebrate about women's rugby in Scotland right now. There's a lot of people doing some very good work, possibly in spite of, um, as, as Heather said, in spite of the, the lack of support that's sometimes available. I know, for example, I can talk about Berwick. You know, Berwick, you know, maybe aren't in a position where they can field a full women's team, but they're running training nights where it's come along, keep fit, have play, chuck a ball around, and then at weekends they're joining up with other clubs to form teams and, and go and play friendly. So there is, there are lots of clubs and lots of women and lots of even men um, supportive of women's rugby, and there are a lot of good things happening right now in Scottish rugby. Very much so. Um, it's uh, We're very lucky to have the volunteers and the... Um, uh, and the girls and women who want to play rugby and, and be involved in rugby. So um, we are getting there very, very quickly and the momentum is starting to build quite dramatically now. Um, we just need um, the the members and the clubs who are, who are struggling with it to maybe start getting behind women's rugby a little bit more um, and the people at the SRU to... to to, to, to get on board a little bit more. Um, there's a lot of people within the SRU that are working hard with women's rugby uh, as well and supporting women's rugby as well. They're maybe not in the news or they're maybe not being promoted as much by the SRU, but there's definitely um, a lot of people in the background within SRU, within clubs who are pushing, and, and also the amount of players that are out there now playing. Um, so there's a lot to celebrate within women's rugby in Scotland. Yeah, John, I think we've, we've said before, you know, I think we, we have been critical of the SRU for their approach to women's rugby and I think it's fair to say that we would acknowledge there are people within the SRU who do a lot to support women's rugby, to support women referees, to bring them on, to, to really grow the game. I think our, our issue I suppose has always been from the top. It's it's that, you know, the, the messaging hasn't always been supportive of women's rugby or, or, or prioritise women's rugby. And I guess if that message from the top is this isn't a priority, that, that does filter down to club level. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, you, you've seen it for many, many years. Like, I think the upswell in women's rugby recently has, it's been, you know, it, it's been really due to a lot of individuals, at, as you say, at the grassroots um Hopefully we've played our wee part in that as well. But, you know, people, yeah, the, the governing body haven't really done much until recently where obviously we've had the kind of, you know, the fact we were on here doing the whole campaign for women, uh, women's rugby to go professional. And it was almost, it, it, it's, at one point it was almost a running joke that you're hearing nations announcing professional contracts for women and we were like so where's the SRU and then they came out with a kind of temporary rugby world cup funding and things like that and it's just not a great look and you know as you say people at the grassroots are doing an amazing job to get girls involved in rugby it's it's a sport that you know from a supporter's perspective we've obviously talked before about how outdated Murrayfield is because from a supporter's perspective, it's 50-50 attending games. So there's a massive market there and the governing body are still not doing enough uh, to to harness that opportunity. And Johnny, I mean, you know, yesterday as we record, this was International Women's Day and we had a look obviously at the, the SRU official Twitter account. And I don't want to take anything away from the stories that were on there because they're fantastic stories. You know, you've, you've got, got a young um, young referee, female woman referee coming through the system. You've got, um, you know, um, sort of women who've, who've, you know, had children and then still carried on playing rugby. And, and there is a place for those stories. But what was interesting is the way that the kind of, the stories were presented was you had, you know, it was about women being mums. 
there's a story about a successful, very successful woman referee, and yet the photograph was of her with two men. And then we have two international male players being asked for international women, and, and the first names they can think of is their mom and their sister. So it's that it, it it does feel like there are other stories worth celebrating within Scottish women's rugby, and some of the stories that, that were selected absolutely, you know, we they're really important to hear. But you know, I would have rather have heard from Jade Conkle, Rona Lloyd, any number of the women's national team than have Sam Skinner say that he thinks his sister's nice. Yeah, like. Is it just me, or did Holly Davidson referee two World Cup finals last year? Like first woman to do so. You'd think that's a thing that you would mention as her parent union on International Women's Day, instead of asking Sam Skinner who he thinks the best woman in his life is. And like, and you're right. Some of it was great. Like some of the some of the the stories that they're bringing on are great and really really important stories. But missing a story like that on Women's Day, it's just like, it's just really, it's the problem, and we say this all the time, is it's really basic stuff. Like, that's an absolute no-brainer. I just, I don't know. I, th- I think also, you've got to you've got to look at the, the overall message. Um, because the, the, the they celebrated, obviously, Mary and our, our, our daughter, who um, uh, you know, mary has been a, a fantastic servant to Scottish rugby, Scottish refereeing um, over many years. I've, I've um, uh, been refereed and also been a coach at the sidelines, being told to shut up by Mary um, many times. And uh, so, you know, she's been within Scottish rugby and Scottish women's rugby for a long time. Um, I think, you know, we've got Dee Bradbury, we've got um, uh, Sheila Begby, who have all been involved in Scottish rugby for a long time now with on the women's side of things. Um but also they could they could have just gone to the grassroots again, celebrate the grassroots and take some pictures of of teams from all over the countryside and put them you know have them um, promoted rather than going to right we're going to put up because we want to not only are we going to never you know we're going to bring in the professional men to talk about their mums now and they're, and they're wonderful people don't get me wrong they've supported these guys very well and they've produced them or whatever they want to say so that's wonderful but you've got to look at if we're trying to grow the night the, the, the girls game let's have a story about a young girl who started rugby let's have a story about about um uh, a women's team who have come from nothing to to to, to something let's um uh, let's have uh, a professional who is now still a professional who's working a job to supplant her, her income as well and is a professional Scottish player. You know, let's celebrate these people rather than than what they've done. I just just as Johnny says, it's very basic. It's very, it's very just, it's almost, they've not really put much thought into it. And, and it just, it's difficult. Yeah. And I think that's it. It's, it's that thing of, I what somebody shared with me earlier today, it was a clip from one of the African rugby unions. And it was a guy and all he did was he walked up to another, I think it was a, another um, international um, African rugby player um, and said, name me 10 female rugby players. And he was able to do it. And, and that's, that's what I would have liked to have seen. I would have rather seen, you know, Sam Skinner being asked, well, who's your favourite Scotland women's rugby player? Yeah. And to talk about that, because that message is quite, for all the, you know, we, we I think, speak from a position where we, we're on board with this, but there's a significant proportion of the Scottish rugby support that isn't necessarily on board with this. And, you know, we'll, you know, we, we always get quite, the moment we post something about, you know, more needs to be done for women's rugby, there's people in our mention saying, where's the money coming from? Not. That's fantastic. Let's support this. Is like where where's the money come from? I said, well, actually, it should come from the men's rugby. Is is my personal opinion, and let's you know level the playing field. But I think the key thing there is let's you know the, the a strong message to to the undecideds would be to have the international men's team supporting the international women's team and talking about them as equals. Well, that well, that's the thing. Actually, you look at the so you mentioned Sam Skinner as an example, and not not to single him out, obviously he was part of the promo. But I think I think it goes a step further than than what you've said. And actually, like you've got, you know, we all grew up having favourite players. We all grew up having people we looked up to in Scottish rugby. 
And if you've got a player coming out and saying, you know, you're being challenged, right? name your, your 10 favourite women's players. Uh, or name your favourite Scottish current Scottish women's international. As a fan, growing up as a young person, you would take note of that. You would be like, oh, Sam Skinner. I'm not saying Sam Skinner is my favourite player or ever would be. That would be bizarre. But, you know, a player like that, you would go, okay, they've mentioned they've mentioned Rona Lloyd. Okay, cool. Who's Rona Lloyd? And the youngsters today are in such a, you know, going to sound old for a second here, but such a position that information is at their fingertips at all times. So, you know, a Stuart Hogg mentions a women's international player, hundreds of thousands of people are Googling that. And all of a sudden that, that, that awareness is generated. That is, it's, it's, you know, it's a situation, the marketing team at the SRU are, frankly amateur at best but they've got all the tools available to them if they simply ask the right questions and they're not doing that so you're absolutely spot on that would have been uh, that would have been the, the simplest way to go about it not to mention by the way that rural lloyd's tiktok is amazing oh, oh right absolutely. yes <laughs> And like, if you if you want to know, and believe me, I know this from from better first hand experience from being at work. If you want to know where young people get their information from, if Stuart Hogg or Sam Skinner or whatever says, "Oh yeah, Rona Lloyd, she's my favourite," they're going to go to TikTok and be like, "Oh, I wonder who Rona Lloyd is." Do do do. Oh, actually, her TikTok's amazing. This is really cool. Maybe I'll find out more about more of these players. Maybe yeah. I'll look into rugby a bit more. Oh, I wonder if this rugby thing might be for me. Oh, let's and, go. And even, I mean, and, and you know, you say that, and actually, it's. The women players to me are far more interesting. I mean, the stuff that Rona Lloyd talks about, about, you know, um, female body image and the pressure on female athletes, um, you know, not to put on on, on muscle. And, and that's something that she felt when she was younger and wanted to play rugby. That Those are really important messages. And you, you don't see, you know, male rugby players talking about these issues. They're just, you know, they're so media trained and they're just so bland that actually the, the stuff that, that's coming out Particularly from the, the you know the Scotland women's camp is far more interesting, Johnny, than anything that would come out of the men the men's camp. It is, and it's like it's something that that should be a massive advantage for not just the SRU and not just Scottish rugby, but for all rugby. That like in the proper use of the word, there's so many more characters, and and not in like a grabbing someone's genitals, Joe Warner like way in like an actual interesting worth hearing about character. And I think that that media teams and unions are probably so terrified of that that actually that's going to go away quite soon. So it it's a golden opportunity just now to try and enjoy it while we can. Because as soon as as soon as these players become more professional, they're going to get more media trained and they're going to get we're going to get less of that. And, and I kind of hope that they can maybe turn the tide of that a little bit because what they're saying, like you say, is really important and really, really interesting. And we should keep it because it's it's just such a worthwhile commodity. We've got an interesting comment from Mary Answer, the Hello Mary, who's listening uh, as we record this live. She said, the problem is that the top of the SRU is run by mostly white middle-class men. Where are the women at the top? Now, this, this raises an interesting point because uh, many people may be aware of the uh, gender pay gap bot that tweets during um, tweets during National Women's Day. So the so the bot will pick up any um, any any organisation tweeting about International Women's Day, and then will tweet the the stats for their gender pay gap. Now it's hard. It didn't do it for the SRU because um, they they don't come up as Scottish Rugby Limited on on Twitter, so it's harder for it to find. However, we did ask the gender pay gap bot that question directly and as Mary says in you know the percentage of women in each pay quarter in the upper upper pay um of the SRU seven percent are women um and then the rest is about the most it gets is in the law where 38 percent of employees of the SRU in the law are, are women so you, you've got a, a very top-heavy organisation. Interesting as well that for anyone interested in the uh, pay gap is that um, women's median hourly pay is 31% lower than men. Now, I'm going to assume that that takes into account 
uh, professional players, John, which may skew things slightly. However, you know, you've got, I think, was it the Canadian? The, oh, no, it escaped me. There was an international team recently, someone may remember, who have equalised their pay for international players. Uh, yeah, so so there's been a couple a couple of teams actually. The Welsh football team that was it have have equalised their pay, and now there's a the Canadian national team are talking about it or are. Ca- I think Canada have done it in football and rugby. There you go. So so Wales are Wales are doing it in football in the UK, um, um, and obviously Canada for for both those. It's that 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 gender pay bot is amazing, right? Uh, so I remember looking at that actually i've got it on my facebook on my photos if anyone's on if anyone's friends with me on facebook i've got a picture of it from 2016 i think where i was looking at a university in scotland and their gender pay gap and the bot is amazing it just it, it just pulls out the information so well for you and the fact that we're still talking about this, you know, 20, 2016, right? So we're, you know, seven years later and we're still highlighting these problems and we're still using the same bot to do so. It's pretty telling. Like, yeah, progress progress is slow. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, Harley Worthy does point out that the whales are trying the same, but the reason they're doing that is by uh, disbanding the males <laughs> international Welsh team. So it's a bit of... Bit of oh, lighthearted humour in there for you. Up. Alan Wynn will still be on 600k a year. Yeah. Age 74. You can't play Alan Wynn Jones in all 15 positions. However, the other um, kind of link to this slightly, and we did touch on upon it with, with my interview with Heather earlier, is, and we have talked about this a lot over the last year or so, yep. um, is the Siobhan Cattigan case and just before we've come on air tonight, there's been a further statement by the family. Now, we were all, I think a lot of Scotland rugby fans who've been following this closely, were all aware that the SIU had said to the family, what would you like us to do? We'd like to, you know, the, the, an offer to honour Siobhan ahead of the Ireland game. I think the way it was put was more like, well, you tell us what you want us to do, was the way that it was suggested it was put. But nevertheless, there was an offer there to honour Siobhan ahead of the Ireland game. What the family asked for was something in line with what would happen should any male, former male international player, have passed away? Should anybody associated with the international team have passed away, whether a doctor, physio, or the kit man? That's all they wanted. And what would normally happen is ahead of the match, you'd have a moment of silence or a moment of reflection. Name as just before the anthems, picture on the screen. And perhaps even a shot laid in the in in on in the centre of the pitch. That's what would normally happen. That has never happened for Siobhan. It happened at Women's International. It happened before it was broadcast on TV. Um, and there were disagreements we understand between the women players and the SIU about how that should happen and the way it should happen. So the SIU have never properly managed her that that um, you know Siobhan's death. So what the family had asked is for them to do it in the same way they do it for anybody else. What the SOU have come back and said is they will put her picture up on the big screens before the players come out. So there'll be no players on the pitch. The stadium will not be full, but they will put her picture up for 10 minutes ahead of time. They've denied the family's request to put the shot on the pitch. And they've said they won't do anything during or before the anthems because they don't. Now, uh, (laughs) Craig... It felt like, and I think we, you know, hope against hope. I think we were kind of seeing, well, look, here's an opportunity for the SIU to step up and kind of hold the hands up and say, look, we got this wrong. We, we we've listened to the family now. We understand what it is they want. We understand all they're looking for is a mark of respect alongside what how we would treat male, former male players, and we understand that, and that's what we're going to do. But this latest response is just another kind of a, what would. It's too disruptive, seems to be the message. It's too hard. It's too disruptive. They literally said it would disrupt the preparations. Yeah. Like like Jamie Ritchie having to go to the sideline to take a ball from Doddy Weir three weeks before he died didn't lead directly to us almost beating the All Blacks. But a minute's mm-hmm. silence for Siobhan is going to disrupt their preparations. Like, 
it's just also also it's little, little things like Doddy Doddy Weir um it was put up at half time during the during the game with I think it was an England game. Mm-hmm. Um when when we when he passed away. Now you know it's I don't it just it just I, I it constantly beggars belief. It just makes me shake my head because I don't know what to do. Because I just, we are at a stage where every time they have an opportunity to solve the problem, they make a, they take a swing at it, but they miss the ball completely and and, and don't even kick it across towards the posts. You know, um, the, all the, you know, never mind. Even this last this last effort, all they could have done was just before the anthems. They even put the thing up about racism before the anthems. They could have put her up before then, had a minute silence, and it's done. And and it sat, it, it brings a. I'm not saying it will close the case completely, but it, what it does is it just brings. It gives a, a a grieving family a little bit more closure, and who doesn't want that? There's not one player on the field that would turn around and go, "That's ridiculous." It's you know, that's putting me off my game. Every, my my suspicion with this, John call me cynical is <laughs> this weekend is hoggy's 100th cap yeah and i part of me thinks the siu not hoggy i don't i don't i, I think hoggy would understand if i'm if i'm perfectly honest but i part part of me thinks the siu don't want to detract from hoggy's 100th cap i think it would be the most powerful statement they could make if stuart hogg 100 caps former Scotland captain, widely regarded one of the best male players of his generation, if not in the totality of Scottish rugby, was on his 100th cap to lay a number eight shirt at the start of the game and say, here we go, here's our tribute to a fallen colleague. That that would be as big a statement as they could possibly make and that would, you know... All the nonsense that's went around Stuart Hall for years and years and years, like that, that, that would be you know, he's been in the press this week giving it the, the chat, and everybody's been commenting on his sensitivity, his emotional empathy towards people, etc. That's as big as it would get. And I think if you're going to use being a centurion for your country, if he believes in his country as much as he says he does, if he believes in that 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 badge right there, the thistle, if he believes in everything he's always claimed to believe in, he could step up and actually do, do something for his country and properly respect Shabon's memory. Now, I don't know if, if any players listen to the podcast. I suspect not, although, hello, Ben White. One of our followers on Twitter now. Um, <laughs> Hi Ben. Uh, can I can I say hello to Henry Burgos just in case? Because you know, <laughs> like I, I, I really do need to like try and mend some bridges there. Well, yes, you do, especially what's coming in your your neck of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get on to we'll get on to that in the Patreon special movie. But I think one one of the most part I think you know at this stage if if I know my, my view on this is slightly differently, but. You know, if the the powerful thing would be for the player, if the SRU aren't going to do it, it's for the players to do something. Correct, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. there's nothing to stop the players going out with tape on their hands with Shibby Eight written on them, or doing something themselves, or marking it in a small way as a kind of, you know, there was a, the Budge Pountney kind of try against Ireland was up on on the internet, and there's someone that doesn't, you know, didn't care what the Blazers thought and just got on with it, you know, and there's there's nothing to stop them, the players doing something if the SRU aren't going to. I mean, interestingly, I mean, we've got um, Alan McDonald, who's, who's been a long supporter of um, the Catagan family and, and this, you know, trying to mark Siobhan's passing in an appropriate way. And, and Alan has championed the eighth minute ovation. I mean, um, I think it'd be great if, if and Alan's asked, if, if, if anybody's going to the Alan match at the weekend, make sure you're there and you see early and make sure let's make a lot of noise for Siobhan when, when a picture does go up. Let's get the eighth minute ovation going. Alan's got in touch to say that the family understood the hundred cap issue, and it was raised as a possible issue, and 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 proposed even that the Italy game would be maybe more appropriate. But I have been told that's no dice. I just you know, 
I Heather said it earlier in the interview, the shutters just go up with the SRU. They're so defensive, Johnny, about everything. And it's just, that's that has to come from the top. Yeah. And, and this has been, with all of these things that we've talked about over the last couple of years, it's always been the problem. Like they're so instantly defensive and they're not prepared to engage with anything. And like with the Siobhan Katakin case, there must be four or five separate times that we've said, if they'd just done that, this would, this would be starting to get better by now. Now we're, at, we're now at the stage where you can't say, oh, if they'd done that, everything would be better because we've gone way too far for that. But there are things nine months ago where if, if they'd just done it, everything would be better. If they just engaged with Siobhan's family right at the start, things would be better. If they'd given her the ovation and the respect that she deserves nine months ago, things would be better by now. If they had spoken openly about how they're investigating it, what they're doing in-house before this independent investigation started getting brought up, things would be better by now. It's just like... Nobody's, and we said this when we spoke about it when we had the, the big episode about Siobhan. Nobody's out to get anyone at the SRU. Siobhan's family want to understand properly what happened. We all want to understand what happened. We're not out to try and lose anyone their job or anything. Nobody is. We just want to know what happened. And by avoiding it, you're just making it seem like you don't want to know what happened or you do know what happened and you don't want us to know. That's the problem. We just yeah. want to know what, what happened. And we want it not to happen again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think also, though, you, you, you know, the, the SRU are still pushing this. They're trying to get us to to um, know about the, the, the roots of the Scottish male players, etc. And they're wanting us to engage with these players. How about the other way around? How about the SRU engaging with, um, with us and speaking to, the, you know, be, looking to everybody who are fans, everybody who pays money into them, everybody who buys a shirt, they are they are part of the SRU family. We should, you know, it's no this corporate sort of um, shutters that go up at any, you know, to the point of, you know, we're 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 known because we call out the SRU, we're known to the <laughs> SRU. And I, it's I like, was going to say, Craig, you're not talking about us, are you? No, no but ha, ha, yeah, but the thing is, you know, uh, some of us have 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 had have, have no players and have, have 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 chatted with players for a while until they get to a point, a certain level of SRU-ness, and all of a sudden you'd no longer hear from them again. And it's 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 this whole they want they need to be more personal. They need to understand a little bit more about the people who are paying the money for the tickets. And if they opened themselves up a little bit more and opened up the players and 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 and, and support, you know, brought the the women's player players together with the men's play, players and seemed a little bit more human, I think things would go a bit better for them. I think I thought, I mean, we didn't, we, we didn't touch on this in last week's podcast that came out afterwards, but there was a statement that came out after last week's podcast from from um, the SIU board. Now, the board, are kind of, it's a new governance, but another new governance body to kind of oversee the running of Scottish Rugby Limited. And they put out a statement about the progress of the, um, it's not independent, of the SIU's in, investigation into what happened with Siobhan and her treatment. And I think what was disappointing with that statement was, you know, you've got the the chair of the board using words like, I feel comforted by the way the investigation's going. I don't care whether the no. chair of a board feels comforted. The SRU should feel good. The family need to feel comforted. That's yeah. the bottom line. And it's this, it's the constant kind of oh, poor us approach. Oh, woe is, woe is us. Aren't we the hard put upon union? You know, we've got people trying to, can't. you know, we've got weather systems trying to cancel important international matches. We've got people, we've got these nasty podcasters trying to get at us and, and criticise us every week rather than supporting the game. We've got these pesky women that keep asking to be paid for the same as, and treated with the same respect as male players. All woe is us what problems we have, you know, or we're having to do an investigation into the death of a player, which we may possibly have, you know, 
our systems may have possibly contributed to. Poor us, not poor the family, not poor the player, not not what a shame this has happened. This is horrendous. Let's get a grip of it. It's this is the, and especially the board. This is supposed to be the body that oversees Scottish Rugby Limited. This is the first test they've had, and the response is, well, it all seems to be in order. Before <laughs> everything seems to be in order here, and we feel quite comforted by things. To hang with a family, we're fine. Note, so, note to see here. Moving move on. Along. Yeah. So we've hit the hour mark, and um, that is the end. We, we had plenty more to talk about, believe you me. We haven't even <laughs> touched on the fact that our lives are all at risk now because Steve Diamond's in uh, charge of <laughs> Edinburgh. Uh, hang on. You don't need to bring in everyone's lives are at risk. No, three, hey, Henry Purgus will be putting in a terrible word about you, Cricket. <laughs> yeah. First, first day. You'll see, you'll see Pergos and Dimes next time you're at the dam, and Pergos are him. That's him over there. You're, over you're there, a, Steve. You're on a more shukly peg than me. You should hear what he said about me. <laughs> at least, at least Anderson and I are not likely to find ourselves at the dam anytime soon. So we no, right. no, no, because we'll get ended by Flinty. You're going into the eye of the storm every week. I yeah. just think Flinty's going to be walking about with a baseball bat while Neil's through it fairly soon. Yeah, what Flinty is now Negan from The Walking Dead. <laughs> I'm just worried that Steve Diamond gets hold of our telephone numbers like he did with Squidge. <laughs> I, so I, I have to say, before I popped that Twitter message up, I did double check that all my profile was pretty hidden so that, that Dimes couldn't get out, couldn't get into me. I wanted to put a He'll thing underneath this. This has got nothing it. to do with me. This has nothing to do with me. I'm an Edinburgh fan. That's what I was needing to. I forgot to put that. Well, in. This has got everything to do with you if you're an Edinburgh fan. <laughs> Look, so if you are our patron, we'll be getting into this in the patron podcast. Fear you not. We'll do a bit of a chat about the um, Ireland game as well. Um, this, as we record this, neither team has been announced, so any previews are kind of always slightly. Um, difficult until we know what the actual teams are so we'll be covering that in the patreon podcast a little bit talking about some other stuff uh other bits of news as well um thank you harley worthy who says good luck with the rest of our podcasting careers now that steve diamond is in scotland <laughs> thank you harley um <laughs> we will say goodbye though to everybody else and we'll join the patreon soon so it's goodbye from me and goodbye from john craig and johnny make sure you all get down early for the ireland game guys absolutely guys that's It'll be brilliant to see you all down there. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.